0: Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, where you'll hear advice from experienced safety leaders on how to protect your people and business. I'm Peter Steinfeld. Today, I'm talking with Chris Hamlin, Vice President of Asset Protection for the Retail Industry Leaders Association, or RELA. Chris is a retail veteran with 30 years of experience spanning store operations, distribution, logistics, and risk management. In this episode, Chris shares how retailers are leaning into technology and community engagement to tackle asset protection challenges today. Let's listen in. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here today. Peter, thank you so much for having me. Well, let's go ahead and jump right into it. What's the current state of asset protection in retail today? That's a good place for us to start. Let me just give you some
1: statistics here on where we are. When you think about asset protection and you think about violence and crime and, and everything that falls within the realm of asset protection, over the last couple of years, we've seen a deterioration of results. In 2020, there were reports out there that said that about $90.8 billion was attributed to losses that happened within retailers. You move up to 21 and went to 94.5 billion. You look at 22, $112 billion. And you know what's even more startling to that, Peter, is that about 40% of that is attributed to external theft or organized retail crime. Only 40%? Only 40% of that. When you think about that, that 40% shot. Now, there's other pieces of the pie, but let me give you this other statistic here. 694 fatalities happened in 2022. That was reported by the Daily in a retail setting. And what they reported in that mix, and this all goes back to the violent events that are happening out there, and this is what the asset protection community is up against. What they reported back is that 2022 was one of the most violent years when it came to American retail. And when you break that down even further, 381 of those fatalities were customers, and 31 of those fatalities were either law enforcement security or asset protection personnel. And that number for the security, police and asset protection personnel, it jumped 72% from the year prior. Like those are startling facts or numbers to kind of give a state of union of where we are when you think about asset protection in the retail industry in a whole.
0: Yeah, those numbers are really staggering. And I think individually, when these things happen, we don't really think about it too much unless it's down the street from us. But when you start to look at them in aggregate, like you're presenting them here, it is. Eye-opening. So, with that in mind, how are retailers tackling these kind of issues across the board? It's just a lot to deal with.
1: There are a lot of ways that that retailers over the years have come up with different ideas or strategies or thought processes. I'd love to share with you what Rela is doing. Rela launched the Vibrant Communities Initiative. This initiative is a collaboration between the National District Attorneys Association and Rela. And the whole approach of the Vibrant Communities Initiative. Is looking at ways to curb these offenses from happening. So looking at ways to end recidivism, looking at ways to be able to deal with the unhoused individuals, those individuals that are self-administering drugs on the premises of retailers or in their bathrooms, and connecting those individuals, either looking at having public officials or prosecutors aggregate charges for individuals that seem to escape through the system. And or how do we defer some of those individuals that are unhoused or might be having some mental health illnesses and things like that to social services entities to be able to get them the resources that they need? And so vibrant Communities was launched back in August. And the whole goal there is working in a collaboration, national district attorney's offices, law enforcement, retailers, sharing information in a way that collaboration is in a way that has never been before, stronger ties, and a way to be able to really kind of support each other as we deal with these events that are happening and and the whole mission on bringing back the vibrancy of our communities.
0: Yeah, I think it goes along with a theme that we see on this show, which is in an emergency, you really shouldn't try to deal with this stuff, either from a planning perspective or while it's going on, on your own. It's really a community effort. And I'm just curious, if, if you look back in your career, When did this realization come into light that you couldn't just deal with it on your own internally in your own corporation and you had to start having this network and these relationships with law enforcement and other folks to really solve the problem?
1: Over my tenure in the retail space, I've seen iterations of this. But I've never seen it at this level before. You have the local organized retail crime groups. You have the local mall groups. You know, I, early in my career, it started out with the mall groups. You know, anchor store to anchor store to specialty store, we were talking. And then the next step of that was introducing law enforcement into that conversation. And then now we realized that it wasn't just a one-center problem. It was a multi-center problem. So now you had organized retail crime groups that started to stand up. But what we're seeing now is it's very evident that it has to be a trifecta approach, as you could say. You know, you've got to have public affairs. You've got to have law enforcement. you got to have retailers. You've got to have everybody understanding what the issues are on both sides of it and supporting each other, whether it be gathering the right evidence, presenting the right evidence, pursuing prosecution at the right levels to be able to really get the job done. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head where you said that it has to be a community effort here.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. It's just super important. And for all of our listeners, it's not just in the retail industry, but really any organization out there listening, don't try to do it on your own. It's very difficult from a business continuity, safety, security perspective to do things on your own. At minimum, be reaching out to your local police department, fire department, make sure you develop those relationships.
1: That's so key. Relationships are so key, Peter. I'm so glad you said that because a lot of those early programs, they were good, but they never really matured because those relationships weren't solidified. And especially when you have turnover, you have people that get promoted, you got people that move all over from different jurisdictions. It's when you really kind of collaborate at that level and build those sustainable relationships, that that's where the impact can happen.
0: Are you seeing a lot of people making the move back and forth between the public sector and the private sector and that flow back and forth is helping people better understand the other's challenges? I
1: have seen that. Even myself, I'm a former law enforcement professional and was in the private security space or asset protection space and in the retail sector for a numerous amount of years. You know, it's interesting because you'll, you'll see it go from law enforcement to private sector and back and forth. Even those that might retire from law enforcement coming over into the private sector, bringing that level of expertise into the private sector as well. So it's something that I really think helps with the 360 look and the 360 approach of dealing with some of these problematic situations.
0: Well, one thing I'm curious about is the craziest shopping day of the year, which is Black Friday. (laughs) How has the evolution of Black Friday really impacted asset protection and workplace safety based on what you mentioned before with people dying in, in stores in the retail space in general?
1: You know, it's so interesting how things have evolved for Black Friday. So I remember the days of of the long lines outside the mall and outside the specific store. I gotta go get my TV or I gotta go get that new electronic item that's out there. Now, a lot of Black Friday sales are happening online. We went through the pandemic where a lot of retailers during the pandemic decided not to open early, not to open on Thanksgiving Day, to go back to what we remember, which were those later hours on that Black Friday shopping event or day. A a lot of things have turned to now. And so like you have not just a cyber Monday, but you have a lot of cyber offerings that start online and then make their way into the stores. I think all those factors in there and just the pivotal shift of what the retailers are doing out there has changed the draw, the push, some of the safety concerns where we had people getting trampled over going, trying to get that TV in the store, get that hot item in the store has really changed that the perspective of that coming out of the pandemic, we saw a whole shift on families and being connected at home and then spend time going out into the marketplace. It'll be interesting this year. I don't have any secrets to share with you, Peter, from from the retailers that are out there. But I I think from my vantage point, it looks like we're going to be going down the same trend that we saw last year, where a lot of people are being conservative as they move into the Black Friday uh, holiday shopping season.
0: I think that's really encouraging because it shows that not all organizations are driven 100% by profit. It takes organizations a while to course correct. But once they started realizing that it was an impact on families, it was an impact on safety, that it's just not worth it to pursue a few extra bucks. So it's fantastic to hear that organizations are course correcting, as you said.
1: And like I said, like, that's also where you get that draw. Like, the pandemic taught us that it's okay to buy something on, on online. It's okay to not touch it and fill it and get it maybe in a day or two. And so like that's where we, we see a lot of retailers that are starting that journey with their customer experience online and it carries right on into the brick and mortar setting as well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that. It's kind of a generational shift where had it not been for the pandemic, people like me probably would never have felt comfortable with not touching that item. <laughs> but. I mean, it, it, now we were forced into it. Eh, it's okay; I can wait a day or two to to get that. So, yeah, that's that's really interesting. Something else I want to talk about is staffing shortages. I know it's really tough for, especially like the restaurant industry, but also the retail industry to find workers. So, how are retailers tackling this big staffing shortage issue over the holiday season?
1: Staffing is it's tough. Many retailers have shared how tough it is with. Individuals that will get hired, they spend the time to train them, and then somebody offers them a dollar more and that employee is gone. And also being able to look at the peaks here, the ebbs and flows of business and being able to align staffing models to be able to meet those demands that are happening in stores. Retailers have shared back with us that they're using and leveraging a lot of technology. To be able to really match the demand of what the consumer is looking for to what their staffing models have to be to be able to serve that consumer, so I still think we're going to have some challenges when it comes to to staffing. I mean, it, it's tough. You know, I, I was in a city not too long ago, and I and I saw that. There are gas stations that are offering $20 an hour to be a gas station attendant. Wow. And so you think about, this is what retailers are competing with when it comes to salaries and things like that. And so it's a very interesting beast. you got some disparity between seasonal employees and base employees. you got a lot of concerns or questions that are out there that makes it a little difficult for makes it not as attracting, I guess I'll say, for those that wanted to pick up those seasonal jobs. But I got to tell you, technology is one big thing that's really helping support retailers to be able to align the employees with where the demand actually is out there.
0: Tying this back to what we were talking about before when it comes to employee safety, people working on the floor who are subject to aggressive verbal attacks, even physical attacks, things like that. Do you think, kind of like the organizations are themselves foregoing the few extra bucks to have a safer environment, do you think employees are also willing to say, yeah, I know that other job offers me a buck more, but they don't treat their people the same way. They don't have the same safety precautions in place. And I'm getting a better vibe from the organization I work with. So I'm going to stay here. Does focusing on safety help with retention?
1: I haven't seen any, stuff, you know, Miss Peter, but I can just say, you know, like I think about myself. I think about my family. If I felt more secure, more safe at one place versus the other, that could be a very strong determining factor for me to be able to stay there or say, hey, that extra bucks might not be worth it because I feel more secure in the position that I'm in. So that'll be something to kind of look at some studies and things that come out from there. But if you just go back to the human side of it, absolutely. Making that vote to be in a place where I feel the safest, regardless of what the the salary or what the compensation looks like, could actually be a win. It's something that retailers should think about.
0: Well, coming back to the technology specifically, how does new technology support retailers and asset protection in general and then workplace safety? What are some of the things you can tell us?
1: A lot of retailers have shared with us that they're leveraging different AI solutions, different whether it be looking at staffing models. And so, you know, looking at the demand of what the consumer is looking for, the demand of what the product offering could be during a certain time frame of business and being able to have AI models crunch historical data in a very efficient timeframe to be able to say, hey, you're gonna need three people here tomorrow to be able to service your your historical demand. And getting just just smarter analytics from that perspective is one way that retailers are, are leveraging technology. You, know, you think about you think about spills and safety hazards within workplaces. We're seeing retailers that are leveraging AI technologies that are able to identify safety concerns, spills on the floor, areas where pallets might be unsafe in a set retailer, where boxes are left out, where people can trip and fall over that. These are all different technology models that over the last couple of years have, have been refined and leveraged to full potential to be able to, as retailers will say, to be able to do more with the limited or less resource they have at home
0: today. Yeah, it's interesting you went right to artificial intelligence because a lot of people fear that it's going to replace them outright. And I think based on what you're saying, that's not going to happen anytime soon. It's more that it will make you safer and more effective at your job. So instead of showing up when they only needed three people and now there's five, two twiddling their thumbs, three people show up. And then when you need 10 people, 10 people show up and you're all happily working and not bored. So it's just going to make people more effective and safer, I think.
1: Absolutely. I, I mean, Peter, I have this debate with people sometimes. I see you think back back when we first started using different search engines out there and you start typing in a word and then all of a sudden as things evolve, the search engine would start to populate the rest of that word for you. That was AI. <laughs> you think about these AI models and these AI tools, they've been out there for years already. Yes, it helped us be able to leverage different resources. It helped us be able to match the resources with the most appropriate time to be able to use those resources. It made us smarter, but AI is not something that's new. It's been something that's been refined and been able to maximize its effectiveness for retailers and for everybody, I have to say.
0: What about self-checkout? That's something that it's kind of hit or miss. People either love it or they hate it. As you look at the numbers and the feedback that you're hearing from retailers, what are the challenges there? Has it been good? Has it been bad? I mean, whatever you can share.
1: What I will share with you, the first thing, I, I get this question a lot. The first thing I always remind people is that they're like, hey, Chris, does self-checkout promote more people to, to steal product or, or to mm. do this activity? That's like number one question. I got to tell you, the bad actors out there, they're not going to. they just going right out the door. So I, yeah. I there's nothing to suggest that they- The ultimate
0: they, self-checkout. Yeah, the ultimate
1: <laughs> self-checkout. There's nothing to suggest that that has an impact or influence on that whatsoever. It's interesting. What retailers share, it depends on the business model, and it depends on what the consumer's interests are. Some consumers, are they might be good with being able to handle their own product. There's nobody to talk to. They're able to check themselves out and get on their way. And then others might need some assistance, or they might want to ask some questions, or they want to have that human interaction. And so, you know, like I go back to to looking at me at times. If I'm in the grocery store, sometimes I just want to get my yogurt and go. But if I'm buying a suit, maybe I need to ask some questions and talk through some things before I make that purchase. So retailers are sharing, it's a mixed bag, but nothing kind of hinges back on, is it effective to combat loss or not? Or is it safer or not?
0: Sure. Yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's not a binary choice. For 20% of sales, it's great and perfect for self-checkout. of sales, you got to have someone there. And it's that in the middle where you need to have some flexibility, maybe some people floating around that have little devices that could maybe help out to check out or just answer questions. I think, unfortunately, a lot of times people bring it to the table as a binary choice and it shouldn't be.
1: It should absolutely not be. Yeah, I agree.
0: One other thing I'm curious about is, just speaking about theft in general, do you think we're ever going to go back and incorporate the old catalog showroom model of the past to help combat theft? Like, remember the old service merchandise model, best products, where you would essentially see a model on the floor, take a ticket, pay for it, and then get your product delivered on a conveyor belt? Is any of that going to come back? Maybe not to that extreme, but something?
1: Maybe not to that extreme. I have to tell you, there are some retails out there right now that are experimenting with that model. They're not doing it per se for that. They're doing it more of a boutique type of environment. They have a consumer that likes that individualized experience and likes that tech draw behind it. And so they have some pretty innovative ways to be able to do some shopping models. You think about success of a retailer, whether a person can walk in and take it off the shelf or they wait for it to be delivered to them. That person still has a decision to make if they're going to pay for it or if they'll walk out the door with it. You know, it's really about the strategy of that level of collaboration and the different efforts that are put behind making what I call a very low risk, high reward situation right now, switching that, you know, swinging that pendulum the other way, where it's a high risk, low reward situation for the bad actors.
0: I was hoping you were going to say the conveyor belts are coming back because I used to love sitting there as a kid watching the little product come down the line. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was fun, well, right? It was that anticipation, the dopamine, you know, it's the expectation better than the actual receipt of the product, so, but I know that slows things down tremendously, so it's not, obviously, the solution. Right. <laughs> well, what advice do you have for retail leaders in general? Like, if you had to pick the top one, two, or three things that you would share with folks based on your experience over the years and then what you focus on now?
1: We started out our chat talking about collaboration. We talked about building those networks, building those relationships, I share with you about the Vibrant Communities Initiative. If you think about that initiative, everybody says we have to do something. And so many people are talking about the problems that we're facing and they're screaming that something has to get done. But when you look at this Vibrant Communities Initiative, we are doing something. And so it's a time now where where I share back with retailers enough of the conversation. Let's make bold moves for the future. Like, bold moves for what we need to do. And that's what the collaboration and networking and really taking our, our neighborhoods back. Like, let, let's bring back the vibrancy back to our communities.
0: And what's the way people can get involved in that? I'm sure a lot of listeners maybe already know, but for those who don't, what are the top one or two things they could do to get involved in that community right away?
1: So the first thing they could do is they could connect with RELA. So you can learn more about the Vibrant Communities Initiative there on the website, Rila.org.
0: Fantastic. And as we start to wrap up here, what advice do you have for people early in their safety or security careers?
1: Listening to that question, Peter, I I sit back and I just, I pause for a second. It took me to a flashback. It took me to a flashback of me getting into this industry. I I had no idea about safety and security in the retail world. Like I was a a criminal justice major, master of psychology. I have this law enforcement, that's where I was going to go. But, you know, somebody invested in me. Somebody said, hey, you should take a look at this. You could." be good over here. And somebody showed me what could happen, what my career could look like in the safety and security space. And I got to tell you, I've had a very exciting and very beneficial career within this space. And so I go back to something I'm very passionate about, and that's giving back. I sit on the board with the International Organization of Black Security Executives, which is an international organization. It is a program, a networking program, but an organization that's really pulled together for connecting those individuals that look like me, minorities that are in the security space, connecting those individuals and showing them what the potential could be for growth within their career, whether it be within safety or security, cybersecurity, or whatever the case might be. And so I, I share with those that are early out in their, in their safety and security careers, find somebody that will sponsor your growth. And that's super key, sponsor your growth and really invest in pouring to you so that you can have success in your career.
0: How would you recommend that they reach out? We are always looking for individuals to connect
1: with us at IOBSE. So you can reach out to us. And if you are an organization out there that would love to collaborate with the organization, you can find us at IOBSC.org.
0: And as you think about your younger self that was in law enforcement, what were the hesitations you had before you thought about making the jump? Because I'm thinking about people listening to this. You know what they're thinking and you know the things you were afraid of. So what would you say to people who are looking to make the jump from the public to the private sector?
1: You got to get uncomfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> that's the big thing. I, I mean, in law enforcement, you get stuck in your mind. I got thirty years in. I can retire. Life is great, and you know that's the mantra. You could go local and go federal, like that's the mindset. I got to tell you, the experiences that I've had. I've lived all over North America, leading organizations when it comes to asset protection, safety, and security across the board, or risks across the board. The, the exposure. The experiences, the connecting, and the networking is far, none something that I would never have gotten in my local career within law enforcement. And so that that is something that I say you, you got to get over the fear uh, of not being a civil service employee, and get over the fear of being in the private world, and you can do some really big things with just the experience that you have in that space. Yeah,
0: no, I think that's so great, and to be able to have a career in two spaces, you know, serve the public, fantastic. And then bring that experience over to the, the private sector. And that cross-pollination is huge because of what we started with, the importance of networking. And by having people that cross-pollinate, it makes that networking all the easier.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And also building your credibility. It's like when you're connecting with the law enforcement, they're like, oh, you're just a security guy. Oh, no, I'm used to walking your shoes before. Yes. And now we have some credibility and we can talk through some banks and collaborate at different levels. So that's also a plus too.
0: Excellent. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed the conversation. You brought some great insights. Peter, thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. To learn more about Chris and his work with Rela, click the links in the show notes. Tune in next week for more expert advice to help you protect your business and people. For video highlights from today's episode, just search Alert Media on YouTube. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Have a safe week, everyone.
1: Thank you for listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events,
0: visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.